Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. My guest is Jordy Clark. He's a real estate investor out of Utah, Salt Lake, and he's got a great story. This is a self-made guy, like a lot of real estate entrepreneurs are, but uh, kind of blue-collar start and doing doing uh, contract work and that kind of stuff, starting out in real estate, and then through to having a mentor that was flipping houses and getting a taste of the business that way and getting his real estate license in order to build up some capital and eventually going on to flip a whole lot of homes in Salt Lake City and then transitioning that into multifamily deals and starting to syndicate deals and raise capital from other people. So a very, um, a good story is, you know, I just love hearing about somebody that's going to go out and be an entrepreneur, build something from scratch, build a track record and go out and do it. That's why I do this podcast. I like talking to guys and gals that are out there doing that kind of stuff. So Jordy's got a great story. I enjoyed my conversation with him. I think you will too. Before we jump into that, a five-star review on Apple helps this show a lot. So thank you. If you're able to do that, helps the reach of the show. We'll have a word from our sponsors and then we'll jump into the, sh- the episode with Jordy Clark. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode is also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Hey, Jordy, good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Hey, thanks. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. So looking forward to kind of diving in here and talking some shop on real estate. Um, let's kick it off though, with a little bit of your background, you know, what, where are you from and how'd you get into this uh, real estate game here? Yeah, great, great question. So I, uh, I born and raised in Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, I'm the son of a contractor and a nurse. So, you know, came from pretty average beginnings. Um, I grew up, my, my dad obviously was general contractor. So I grew up learning how to do stucco and frame houses when I was 12, 13, 14. And, uh, I'm forever grateful for the work ethic that got instilled in me there, uh, especially, sure. you know, I'm fairly young, I'm early thirties as we record this. And a lot of my cohort, you know, you read all the news articles and millennials get a bad rap sometimes, yep. but, uh, get a bad rap, great, yeah, <laughs> yeah, great, grateful to, uh, have, have some work ethic and appreciate the value of a, a buck. So, um, yeah, I uh, I kind of had this idea that I you know had to go to school to be successful, and I it was going to become a doctor. So graduated high school, went to college, played rugby, uh, got my teeth kicked in in some of the pre med classes, yeah. uh, and so I was like, hey, you know what? I I think I'm going to take some time off and kind of really figure out if this is what I want. Um, and I actually went and and served a religious mission in uh, Chile for two years. 
uh, with the oh, cool. group I'm a part of, which was at what age? Uh, this is like 20, 20 something, early twenties. Yeah, I was twenty. Yeah, oh, what a cool, so, uh, what a cool time to do that and take some time out. Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great. You know, a lot of people join the military and just yeah, for me, I was like, hey, we'll we'll go try this out and. I wasn't particularly religious or spiritual at all, you know, as a 20 year old young kid, but um, yeah, it taught me a lot there too. So from there, uh, actually right before that is kind of when I guess I caught the real estate bug. Um, I've always liked working with my hands and like real estate growing up a contractor's son, you know, it's tangible. You can see it, feel it. Sure. Um, but I always kind of had that mentality of, uh, you know, an employee, if you will, uh, just growing up. Cause I think that's the life that my parents lived to a degree. Right. Um, and right before I left on that mission, I actually had a guy that was in our neighborhood. Uh, he offered me an opportunity to come and surf and flip a house for him while with him. Cause I was fairly handy and could do some stuff. And I, was, I grew up a big snowboarder here in Utah. And I was like, heck yeah, I'd like to surf. You know, you got beaches, surf, sun. Uh, it's great. So I went there and we did 95% work and 5% surf. Which, oh man, where was this, California or where'd you go? Yeah, San Diego. San Diego. Okay, gotcha. So, so just basically uh, kind of slave labor here and a little bit of surfing on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the time I thought it was great. I think he was paying me like 12 bucks an hour. Um okay you know, which as a 19 year old kid was a lot back then. Yeah. Uh, and we slept in the house on air mattresses that we were remodeling. Um, his, uh, his name's Doug. He actually turned out to be one really good mentor for me, but super frugal, um, which I <laughs> can appreciate. Right. Appreciate. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we, we flipped the house and I think I walked away with 24, 2,500 bucks for, a you know, six weeks worth of work. And, yep. um, I think he made like 65,000 on the flip. So I kind of saw that, Hey, I did the same amount of work, but our payoff was different. Totally. Yeah. So you knew right? his margin on the deal. You saw like all the numbers. Was he sharing uh, you actively or did you just kind of figure it out? Yeah. I mean, he was, he was kind of mentoring a little okay, bit, cool. you know, awesome. yeah. um, he had kind of taken a few people under his wings. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think he saw me as a young 19 year old and he was like, Hey, we'll I'll kind of teach him this little real estate investing thing that he was doing. And yeah. Um, you know, of course, then I went off and, and focused on other things for two years. Uh, when I got back, I contacted him and, um, he's like, Hey, you should read this book called rich dad, poor dad. Uh, I was like, Oh, all right. And, you know, I mean, the rest of my story is probably pretty similar to most other people once they read Rich Dad Poor Dad, but Isn't that funny. Yeah. But yeah. you'd already done some stuff. I mean, it's much more than conceptual at this point, right? So a lot of people have read that or another book, and then they kind of start down a track and maybe two years later they flip a house or something, or maybe never do anything. But you had already grown up with it, you'd done a project. So when you're reading this, were you like connecting the dots or what was that experience like? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm not the brightest person around. Uh, so it actually took me a few times of reading it. I think the first time I was like, oh, that's that's really cool, but it's not for me. And at the time I was still focused on, well, I need to go to school to get a degree to get a good job. Right. 
but I knew I didn't want to do medicine. So I shifted and did business administration. Yes. Yep. BBA and, for the, for the win. I, I, uh, yeah, same, uh, the same boat. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, from, from there, I was actually going to school at night. Um, I was working at a bank during the day and then, uh, I was, I was valeting cars kind of when I had extra time at the grand America in Salt Lake. Okay. There's that work ethic, and, man. jobs in school. I love it. Love to hear it. Yeah. And I was uh, pretty determined to try to pay my way through school without taking on too much student debt. Um, cool. I still had to take on some cause university of Utah was expensive. Um, but yeah, did, did the best we could with what we had. And then our, our firstborn or our, our first daughter was born and I'm going to school. I'm working like three jobs and never seeing her. And yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to, you know, plug in and listen to the book that he told me about. Cause I had reconnected with him and kind of told him and he's like, Hey, didn't you read this book? And I was like, yeah, he's like, Hey, you should read it again. So, um, yeah, it kind of sparked then when I kind of saw my future. So I was eight to eight classes away from a bachelor's degree in business administration with a minor in finance. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to, you know, all my classmates and they're like, Hey, I just got this job offer for, you know, 45, 50,000 bucks a year. And they're all excited. And I'm like scratching my head, like, man, I'm paying 8,000 bucks a semester. I've got probably four semesters. Cause I could only do so many classes. Right. And I'm like, I'm, I'm already making this. Why don't I just go get my real estate license? Cause I, I was making 50 grand a year parking cars at grand America. And then, um, so, you know, it, it, it was kind of gradual, but I realized, you know, maybe the, the return wasn't worth it for me. And from there, yeah, I got my real estate license and never looked back. Why was it, um, so why was it a real estate license versus say, hey, I'm going to go try to do what Doug was doing, flipping houses? Was that just too big of a, to, to kind of wrap your head around at the time and and the, your capital situation and all that stuff? Was it just easier to go go sell houses? You know, um, I actually thought I need to get my real estate license to buy rental properties. Oh yeah. Cause yes, that's so common, right? That's such a common belief. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it goes to just like saving a commission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, Hey, I, I can, I can save myself a commission. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it kind of morphed into a career, which is, it is what it is. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, got, got my real estate license and started selling real estate. And then I, so this was in 2014, we bought our first rental property in 2015. And then I was convinced that the market was going to crash. Yeah. So we didn't buy another property um, until 2019. Yep. Um, and I kind of made all of the common mistakes that realtors make, like, we were making good money, but I was spending even better money. Yeah. Easy to do. So from there, you know, we kind of uh, had to get on like the Dave Ramsey diet and yeah. uh, learn how to live within our means. And, and from there, I, I had just seen, you know, real estate values 
explode. Um, and it was very slowly. Like I remember selling these houses for 75, 80,000 bucks and one would pop on the market for 85,000. And I tell my client, no, 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 don't buy this $85,000 house. I just sold one for 79,000 down the street. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, you know, those houses worth 150,000. That's insane. And two, in Utah. 250. Yeah. So the 80 house went to 250. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, we yeah. just sold one for 375. Yeah. For a client. Like Little, similar type of house that was selling for sub, sub six figures a handful of years ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. So, yeah. I mean, I was seeing values just go up and we obviously weren't making any traction on our finances. And so I was like, I've, I've got to do something different. So 2019, I kind of let everyone on my real estate team go end of 2018, early 2019, and just went to myself and, uh, my brother, he was working with me and we just, we just sold a bunch of houses and my side hustle was flipping houses. So I just jumped into flipping houses and created a bunch of capital to go out and buy rental properties and had, had a fair amount of success then, um, for, for the next few years and kind of built up a, a little portfolio. And then we have since acquired a few small apartment complexes and, uh, yeah, just value add strategy. We try to buy under market, fix things up, you know, obviously improve. Uh, that's kind of been my, my model with, I went from single family houses to now we're kind of doing it in the small, small apartment space. And yeah, that's where we're I at. love it, man. I, there's so many realtors that never get into the investing side. Right. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of realtors. So, um, of all stripes, right. And, and quality and, and education and stuff like that and experience. But you, you started 2014 with your selling houses. And then a year later, you're, you're actually getting on the investing side, which in my experience, most realtors do not kind of ever, they're, they're parallel to it. They're around it, kind of their whole career. They certainly understand the industry, but they, I guess it's, what is it? They just don't want to jump. It's a different mindset working for a commission versus buying assets. What was it for you that allowed you to kind of get on that investing track a lot sooner? Yeah, good question. I mean, um, for me, I had gotten my real estate license to invest right? because I was going to use my, my 3% commission as a down payment. Right. And so I joined a real estate team that focused on servicing investors. Okay, cool. So you were around it, living and breathing it, talking, yep. selling it, transacting the whole thing. You're kind of right in the thick of it. Yep. So, cool. I mean, that, and it just kind of morphed into, and that's what our current team model is, is, you know, we, we help a lot of people get started investing because I think it's probably the best way for the average Joe to build wealth in, in America today. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um. So what kind of, how were you guys structuring deals when you go, you know, I mean, I understand kind of the, the commission side and the sales side, but when you're going out to flip a house, was it, um, was it hard money, private money, you know, personal capital, how, how would a typical kind of flip structure and then how long, you know, how long would it take? What were you guys spending on rehabs? Always real curious to kind of dig into the numbers there. Yeah. Um, great, great questions. So when I started, 
Um, we actually found a cash partner that paid cash for the property and the rehab. And then I was doing a lot of the work myself. Yeah. Oh, physically, so, you had the skill set, right? So you're in there hanging drywall? Yeah. Again, like kind yep. of the, the same pattern. Like I, I was in there painting and, you know, laying tile and I, I know how to do it all. So why would I pay someone else to do it was my mentality. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was just, that was what we did for the first few. And then I realized, Hey, this isn't scalable. Like I'm just mm -hmm. giving myself a different job here. So uh, I kind of found a different mentor who had flipped a lot of houses and did it without actually doing the work himself right. and kind of learned from him. He had a coaching program that I joined and, and from there I uh, got my first hard money loan and, and most of now all of the flips I've ever done, I've partnered with a hard money lender, gotten a hard money loan from them. Um, and you know, I'm fixing it up. When I first started, <laughs> I'd get a, a Home Depot credit card that was zero percent interest. Yeah. And we'd we'd go in one trip and and buy, you know, three thousand dollars worth of material. Yeah. Cause I could put it on a Home Depot card with zero interest and yeah. and then pay it off when the flip was done in a few months. And um so a lot of the first flips was that. Um, and then, then from there, you know, you start getting a little bit of money and uh, it just gets hard, like juggling all the credit cards. You're like balance transferring from here to, to pay this. And I was finally just like, all right, I'm just going to like, we're going to flip a few houses, get some cash and just use that. Right. Because yeah. it's just easier to do that than try to play this shell game. And then, yeah. So that kind of answer your question? Numbers. Yeah, no, I love to, I love to hear it. You're taking me back down memory lane here and maybe a little of my PTSD from just kind of scratching and clawing my early flipping days for every penny, man. I was like, if I could get a line of credit for five grand, that would be like, oh my gosh, it's going to help so much <laughs> yeah. to try to go flip this house. But then you start flipping some of these things, you make 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 grand. You're like, all right, okay. Like this is real money. And I think we can build on this. So what kind of you know, profit was in, was in these flips when you were, when you were getting started, what were you guys hoping it was, was 20 K a good deal? Was it 50 K kind of net on the per project? Yeah. I mean, I've done over 70 fix and flips now. And I think wow. my average, average profit is pretty close to 25,000 a flip. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've made as much as 60 or 70 on a flip and I've lost as much as 90 on a flip. Yeah. Um, but I would say the average is 25. Um, and, and most of what I have done, it's just been base hits, you know, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm more of the camp of like, Hey, I just want some consistency. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd pick the same flooring to go in every house. Amen. And then when I'm texting my carpet guy, he already knows what I want. I don't have to run down and like pick out, you know, from the five different LVPs. Yep. It's just, it's easy. It's all the same. You know, at, at one point in time, we had a crew and we were doing everything two-tone paint, you know, gray walls, white base, case and doors. And, you know, I'd walk through the project once a week, see how things were going. And, and then they would run everything else. And so we've kind of done it a couple of different ways. Um, I've since lost that crew, unfortunately, just due to mm -hmm. life changes. Sure. Definitely happens. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it was, it was a great thing, I think for both of us when it was going and humming along, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, nothing spectacular. Like, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to come on and be like, yeah, I made $10 million flipping, you know, this thing into this thing. Like I've just never done that. Yeah. Base hits, man. I mean, look, that's a really important concept. And also I think the idea of this pipeline or consistency, if you're trying to do this professionally or full time, um, you know, it's not enough to just kind of have, let's say, you know, you make $30,000 profit on a flip. Well, that took six months, nine months of work before to, to realize that. So if you don't have something else in the pipeline, that's going to hit six months from now, you get in trouble real quick, any business, but you, you do have to build that pipeline. I, I remember thinking the same exact thing when I was flipping a bajillion houses was just like, got to always be buying because just got to keep the pipeline full so that trying to forecast those, those profits. And then flipping is just kind of dicey because you're forecasting a 40 K profit and it could turn into 12 or zero depending on, you know, circumstances. So it's, it's tricky. So, but it sounds like that mechanism for you was the way to go from, you know, earning 12 bucks an hour as a kid to putting together tens of thousands of dollars for, for your investment company. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. you know, flipping, I think, I think of flipping like bartending or playing the NFL, like it's good money, but not a, not a life game plan for forever. Right. I mean, it's kind of a short-lived, short-lived thing. Um, a lot of times anyway, but so what was your aim and, and what's going on? You know, what are you guys doing now as your syndicate? You mentioned earlier, I think before we started that you're syndicating deals, raising capital, putting together deals for these multifamily projects. What was the kind of impetus behind making that shift? Yeah, well, great. Great segue because, you know, I, I think most flippers realize unless you build a business around flipping, you've just given yourself a job. For sure. Yeah. It just happens to be different than, you know, going out and showing people homes as an agent. Right. So I kind of saw the light when, and really I knew all along that, hey, flipping, I'm only flipping so that I can buy rental properties. Yeah. Um, and you know, the rental properties we're buying, they were distressed properties that we'd buy usually on a hard money loan, fix it up, force it to appreciate because we're adding value. We're basically flipping it to ourselves. Right. But then there's a lot more tax benefits in buying and holding rental properties than buying and flipping. So our formula was kind of like, Hey, for every house or two that we would flip, we were going to try to keep one. Cool. Love it. Long-term. Um, yeah. And so we just started like buying, you know, whatever we could. Um, and it started as single family houses and then, you know, some of them appreciated really well, but the rents didn't keep up. So, you know, like I sold a townhouse that we had a ton of equity in, uh, because we got an opportunity to buy a six unit apartment and kind of the same thing. That's like a value add play, but we, we sold that townhouse and bought the six unit and it cash flowed way more. And we could do a oh. cost segregation study yeah. and drive my in income way down and, you know, not pay anything in taxes today. Was that your first foray into the multifamily world, that six unit? Uh, that was my second. The, the first one was a five unit I bought with two partners. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, yeah, you know, one of them, Jay, that's sure. We, we bought that together with another buddy of mine. 
And um, yeah, it was, that was fun because I realized like, hey, sometimes it's fun to own things with other people that are like-minded and kind of have the same time horizon as you. Yeah. I see a lot of people jump into real estate deals together when maybe they shouldn't just because, you know, usually you either need money, you need a deal or you need financing mm-hmm. and you can, you usually have two of the three and you bring a partner in for the third. And sometimes I, you know, I just see people jumping into a real estate deal and holding it with, and I'm like, why is that a partnership? Um, but it, yeah, to a degree, real estate can get lonely because you're kind of in your own echo chamber of just your own thoughts of what's going on. And yeah, yeah so hundred percent. It's I totally agree that the, the right partnerships are can be wonderful. Obviously, if there's complementary skill sets and what people are bringing to the table, and yeah, entrepreneurship can be absolutely lonely. I mean, that's why you know I know you and I are both fans of, of mentorship groups and get around like minded people, and that's that's huge if you're going to go be an entrepreneur for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was kind of our well my segue into more multifamily. And then after after I saw the six unit perform really well for me, I was like, man, I gotta go buy something. And it was kind of at the same time that Jay was like, Hey, we should buy something else together. I've got some money to deploy, and I've got a few friends that have money. And I was like, okay, well you know, I've never bought anything bigger than six units. And, um, so yeah, we ended up buying a 12 unit apartment complex that was, uh, it's like mid seventies vintage, uh, pretty close to a university, um, in a, in a pretty good spot. And so we, we put it under contract and yeah, we, we were going to go in and fix up all the units and raise rents and then refinance. Um, and we we did that. We were able to kind of hit the, well, we increased rents by about 30% um, without spending all of our rehab budget, which was good. Um, and then we refinanced that one before interest rates got too crazy. Um, and then our our second one, I, I worked on that deal. Uh, I bought that from the seller of the sixplex. I stayed in touch with her. Oh, cool. And we bought that, um, kind of the same thing, value add deal. But she told me, she's like, Hey, we're not going to sell you this until I have something to 1031 exchange into. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, what are you looking to 1031 exchange into? And she told me, and this is what she told me. And it was in 2020 that she told me this, um, right after like, so about June, July, the market just went nuts here in Utah. It was after everyone kind of figured out, hey, we weren't all turning into zombies and we had a flood of Californians come over. Yeah, so our prices went up 30% from July to December of 2020. Yep. And That's she told me, yeah. And like our, our inventory went down to like, we had five days of absorption was <laughs> our, our average. That's so. Wild. Yeah. The the seller of this 16 unit, she told me, she said, Hey, we want brand new construction townhouses at a discount. And Hmm. I was like, there is no way you're getting brand new construction townhouses at a discount right now. Right. And I kind of wrote it off in my mind, like, Hey, we'll, we'll never, 
Like I'm not buying that because we're right. never going to help her solve her need. And so anyways, long story short, we actually found a developer who was finishing up a development. He just wanted to offload the rest of his projects and they were townhouses. So we were actually able to uh, kind of connect them. I didn't represent either of them, but they connected and she contracted on them to 1031 exchange into. And then we just timed the sale of her 16 unit uh, with the purchase of those new construction townhouses for her. So we solved her need. Um, you know, we, we've got the property at a little bit of a discount. Um, and you know, it, it's a, it's a great deal all around. It was, yeah. Yeah. Love it. So, a lot of this is, is solving problems, right? I mean, especially kind of wheeling and dealing with, <clears throat> with directly with owners. Um, yeah, it's just, just solving problems. What kind of debt are you putting on these projects? Just local bank debt or how does, how does that look? Yeah. So that last one we did, uh, we did a Freddie Mac small balance loan. My favorite loan product of all time. Love it. Yeah. Love it, it. Great loan. So, uh, and we got a pretty good interest rate. We're sub five on our interest rate. Love it. Um, it was a lot of stinking paperwork to get it done. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we went agency on that one. Cause for sure. I mean, we got two years of interest only. Um, I think our rate doesn't adjust for 10 years. So, yeah. so fixed. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're fixed interest rate, which is, I mean, that's the kind of debt you want, especially in this environment. Yep. So yeah, just a great loan product. It was a great experience and yeah, now we're just kind of on the hunt for the next, next opportunity. Are you guys looking just in, in Utah? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to ask you about, you know, at this size <clears throat> assets, how are you guys handling management? Are you guys entirely managing yourselves? Do you have anybody on staff, you know, using technology to get some of that done or how do you, how do you guys approach it? Yeah. Great question. Um, we do not manage anything ourselves. We have a third party property manager. Cool. Yeah. Um, and again, just like going through my journey, uh, I've been through a few property managers. Sure. And we just, we found one that their fee structure works for us. They're not nickel and diming us. It's that company is owned by an investor. Uh, he's a pretty good friend of mine and he just, he runs it like not, he doesn't run it like a profit center. So he, he understands that, you know, you make money in real estate over the long term by managing expenses. Mm -hmm. And so they're set up where, you know, we're not paying exorbitant fees. Um, our, our monthly management fee kind of hovers between I'll say 8%. Um, but there's like no massive lease up fees on our part. They do right. charge a little one to the tenant and then they charge a $25 fee to the tenant every month. Um, but they've actually probably made me more money than it's cost me. Oh, wow. Cool. Love it. Uh, especially on the small multifamily stuff. Like they've come to us and they said, Hey, you know, we started charging this grounds maintenance fee in addition to billing back utilities. And would you like to implement this in your properties? And I was like, sure. Sure. You know, and so we're between 25 and 50 bucks per unit um, that we now charge on grounds maintenance fees. And it just helps, helps keep the grounds nice, um, helps keep the properties up, uh, helps our NOI. So I'm sure we'll vertically integrate 
uh, in the future. But for right now, um, we can't beat the cost and they know exactly what they're doing. And it's not, that's not my forte. Sure. So, yeah. And, and you said it, it's not a profitable business. I mean, it's not, if you've got something that's working and somebody else is managing that and that, that return on hassle, you know, is outstanding for you. I'd, I'd say that's a winner. I don't, I don't, we own, we own our management company and it's a, it's a gigantic enterprise and lots of moving pieces. I don't think there's a real clear answer for self-managed or, or owning the company versus third party. Uh, in my mind at all, it's not clear which one is superior. It's just kind of based on your circumstances. And if you've got a situation that works by all means, because now you're focusing on, you know, deals and dollars where you, where you should be right. Rather than the nuts and bolts of the, the daily management. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting though, because the nuts and bolts can make or break you. Yep. Yep. So you've got to get that part right. Like you can't, yeah, can't mess that part. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I think a good example of that is we, we, I bought a fourplex in downtown Salt Lake. And as part of the condition of the sale with the seller, I kept his property management company retained. Yep. Um, he was like, Hey, I've got a really good relationship with them. And we just brought them on. Um, and he kind of had too much on his plate at one time. And so I was like, I'll, I'll take the fourplex. Cause I got it at a discount. Um, I was solving his need, but he was like, Hey, keep my property management company. in." so I was like, all right, well in December and, and this last year in Utah, we had the wettest winter I can ever remember. Like mm. some of the snow resorts had 900 inches of snow, which is like unbelievable. Mm. So anyways, the one fourplex, I was looking at my monthly statement and they were charging me almost 1800 bucks to remove the snow in one month. And, you know, the rest of my portfolio, which is, you know, 11 times the size of that little fourplex, it wasn't even that much to push snow in the other 45 properties. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had to call them up and I'm like, Hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, Oh yeah, it's just been a lot of snow. And I'm like, Hey, I get it. But you're telling me here that you're using 250 pounds of salt for two small driveways on a fourplex. And it's costing me the same to manage these other 45 units with snow removal, because we definitely don't want someone tripping and falling. Sure. Like, a, it's just being a good property owner, but B, you also like don't want to get sued. Sure. So, so you know, it's just stuff like that. That, and had we not called and fought with them on that, nothing would have happened, and they would have just taken our money, right? Yep. And and then if that happens with enough enough of your portfolio, like it's just math, it's not going to work out. Yeah, so, it's easy to bleed out from those little paper cuts, right? Although 1800 bucks yeah. a month on a fourplex, that's not a paper cut. That's a big, that's huge, right? Yeah. That's a huge line item. We don't really deal with a lot of snow removal here in Texas, but what, or in San Antonio anyway, but what, what should it have cost kind of market rate for getting that done? Couple oh, I mean, 300 bucks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the landscaper has to go out there and then they got a shovel and throw a little salt down. But I mean, what they were charging us was it was way more than it should have been. Yeah. They're testing you. See if you caught it and you caught it. So that's good. Right. 
<laughs> Got it. Yeah. Nipped it in the bud. Well, what are you guys yeah. looking to do? We're talking kind of mid-year 2023 right now. What are you guys looking to do kind of, you know, looking forward? Is it, are you just kind of taking deals as they come through your relationships? Do you pursue like, hey, we're going to try to buy this much stuff or how do you guys approach that? Yeah, great question. I mean, I I really like the real estate game. I'm I enjoy it a lot, obviously. Well, I enjoy aspects of it a lot. So, I mean, we're going to continue to grow, but we're not necessarily forced to buy deals. Sure. Um, and I, I like buying really good deals. Um, and probably my favorite thing of the couple syndications we've done is just like the ability to offer returns to people that maybe wouldn't have access to these kinds of deals. Right. Um, like I'm sure you know another buddy of mine, Mike Ayala. Yeah. I'm actually talking to him today. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, he's the one that actually pushed me into raising capital because, um, for a while there, like we were just doing our own thing with our own money. And, and he said, man, you're really doing a disservice to your friends and family by not taking their money. Interesting. Yeah. Because he's like, they're going to invest it somewhere. Um, and, you know, at least with you, you know what you're doing. You're honest. And like, you know, real estate in and out. Yep. And, you know, so versus like putting it with another syndicator that maybe doesn't have similar experiences, which, sure. you know, is, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just different. But, you know, and I, I think we're going to see it'll be interesting the next few years seeing what happens. Um, I, I went to best ever conference, which is kind of a conference for syndicators. And man, there was a lot of people still saying, and this was just a few months ago, they were still saying, Oh yeah, we've got variable rate debt on everything. And I'm like, that's a very interesting business model right now. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You've got so, rates gone from 3% to 8% on some of these loans. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, from, from here, like we'll, we'll probably, I get really good deal flow here in Salt Lake. Awesome. Um, we know the market. I, I, I'm pretty bullish on where, where the market's headed just with a few, few factors that I think are out there. So we're going to keep buying um, deals as they come up. And as you know, we obviously think they're deals and um, our goal is to, you know, push up and get into the 50, 60 units, you know, kind of continue to prove our business model there and then push into larger and larger deals all here along the Wasatch Front in, in Salt Lake. Yeah, there's some really something to be said for having that home court advantage in so many different facets of your business. So I love it, man. It's it's a great story, you know, starting working hard as a kid, doing your own deals on your own steam, doing a bunch of deals, getting a track record and then growing the the asset size. And that's exactly how I did it. And exactly how countless others have done it. It's, but you know, you kind of prove yourself on the small stuff and then just keep going a little bit bigger. And um, I think that's the way to do it. That's the best kind of operators I like to invest with. And I think it just makes a lot of sense if you've gone through and kind of built the thing from the ground up yourself. So kudos on that, man. I love hearing it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, cool, man. Well, Jordy, I really appreciate you sharing your your story. And I love hearing entrepreneurs building their real estate business. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, what's the best avenue for, for them to do that? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, Best Avenue, you can check out our website, siliconslopescapitalpartners.com. Um, uh, for the real estate team, it's benchmarkgroupslc.com, or you can connect with me on social media. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, if you're listening, check out Jordy and his team. You can just click through the description and click right through the website there. So be sure to check that out. Well, listen, man, I know we've got interesting times with where rates are and everything, but obviously a lot of operators out there still doing deals. Y'all are doing deals. We're doing deals. Um, just got to be creative and, and, uh, and I guess committed to, to making deals happen and putting the capital stack together in the correct way. But Awesome catching up. Wish you guys uh, continued success and let's check back in a, in a year or so and want to kind of hear where what you've done with the portfolio. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. Great, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jordy. See you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.